Hey, Real Talk listeners. On today's episode, we have Andre Schutten. Andre is the Director of Law and Policy and the General Legal Counsel for ARPA Canada. ARPA Canada is the Association for Reform Political Action based in Ottawa, and you can learn more about them at arpacanada.ca. We talk with Andre, who's very active in the governmental and legal spheres, about the relationship between church and state, and uh, of course, COVID-19, the issue of masks, and as well, we started off with the concept of sphere sovereignty, which kind of frames how we view this discussion. Uh, we really enjoy the conversation. We hope you find it informative. And without further ado, here is Andre Shooten. Andre, thank you for joining us today. Really appreciate uh, having you here on the Real Talk podcast. Um, so we're going to be talking about uh, church, state, uh, COVID-19, obviously a very topical issue. Um, so I guess maybe to start off, let's talk about first principles. Um, what's at play here in the relationship between church and state? Uh, I was wondering if you could talk about sphere sovereignty, this idea, maybe expand on it, give us a bit of the history and uh, help us out with that. Yeah. Well, thanks, first of all, for uh, inviting me on the podcast. Great to, to be here on the podcast with you. And thanks for the opportunity to talk about this important issue. Like you said, it's uh, it's relevant. It's happening right now. And it's something that I think the church as a uh, as a faithful bride of Christ needs to wrestle with um, and, and be thinking deeply about Um and uh, and I think the way we got to think about it and talk about it and discuss it is is openly, honestly, but also with a spirit of charity, uh, trying to understand each other, um, because I, I think in today's political climate, it's very easy to simply dismiss each other uh, when we don't say things quite the way we would expect or or we hear things that we think we would disagree with and then we dismiss each other outright. So I hope that um, uh, you and, and your listeners will will show me uh, enough charity that if you haven't quite understood what I've said, uh, obviously that's my fault. I haven't communicated it well, but but just show me charity and, and feel free to engage me with critical comments uh, at any time. So yeah, sphere sovereignty, I think, I was thinking about it over the weekend. I think one one key verse in scripture that's very, very important to understand sphere sovereignty is, is the one where Jesus says, just before he sends out his disciples to evangelize the world, he says, uh, all authority has been given to me uh, in heaven and on earth. All authority heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. So uh, we start with, whenever we're talking about sphere sovereignty, we start with the fact that Jesus Christ is Lord of everything. He is Lord over all things. And, uh, and that's the starting point also for sphere sovereignty. And then we know, I think, from scripture, uh, a biblical uh, philosophy, when we look at certain verses in scripture and we play it out in real life, that, that we can see that Christ has instituted at least three spheres. I think arguably there's more than that, but, but the three major spheres of authority that Christ has, in, has instituted is the church, the family, and the state. And, and so when Christ says, all authority has been given to me, uh, he then delegates that authority, some authority to the family, some authority to church, some authority to the state. Uh, and it's important to know which of those spheres have been given which authority. And so, you know, really basic, uh, the really basic um, authority that's been given to each of them, the family is uh, the, the raising of children, the nurturing of children and the, the education of children, the moral formation of children. 
the the church is been given the task of uh, preaching the gospel, exercising the keys of the kingdom, which is preaching gospel and church discipline. Uh, the 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 sacraments, of course, is is the exclusive ministry of the church, and then also ministry of mercy. I think is a big element of the ministry of the church. Uh, so it's taking care of the poor and the sick, the widow, the orphan, and so on. And then uh, the 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 role of the state, the sphere of the state, is uh, public justice. Um, uh, ensuring that the, the the criminal is is punished, that the good is protected, um, and that can reach into uh, also public health in in times of pandemic and so on. So there's definitely a role for the for the state there as well. The key the key for um, uh, sphere sovereignty, though, uh, and I think that in times like today we're getting this a little bit mixed up, is that there's no hierarchy of spheres. So it's not. Christ at the top, underneath him is the state, underneath him, underneath the state is the church, underneath the church is the family. It's these three um, sit side by side under the lordship of Jesus Christ. And Christ is the Lord of this state, like the state has to answer to Christ um, eventually, whether they recognize it or not. The church, the leadership of the church has to answer to Christ as the Lord, and the leadership of the family has to answer to Christ as Lord. And they, for the areas of responsibility that Christ has given to them, they must answer uh, to directly to, to God. Doesn't mean that there's never overlap or, or, or uh, things like that. That does happen. And we got to wrestle through that. That's when it's not so black and white. Uh, but, but that's a starting point. That's your uh, basic foundation to start with. Right, right. Is that commonly misunderstood some way in our in our churches or in, in the way we conceptualize that idea? Is there some common misunderstandings there? Yeah, I think so. Like, like, so one common misunderstanding, um, it comes where, um, it can be an outworking of what some people have called two kingdoms theology, two kingdoms theology says, well, there's, uh, there's you as a Christian in your personal Christian life. And, and when you're in the church, you know, that's a very Christian and that's, you know, that's the kingdom of Christ. And then there's, the other kingdom, the second kingdom, which is, you know, economics and science and politics and law and so on. And that, you know, that's treated very, very differently. But I'd say so, so that, that bifurcation, that separation between the kingdom of Christ being the church and you as a Christian versus, you know, the secular world, I think that's a, that's an unhelpful um, and, and possibly maybe even a stronger word could be used to describe it, but I'd say at least it's unhelpful because it, it actually uh, denies the Lordship of Christ over every square inch of our human existence. Abram Kuyper is famous for his, for that one saying where he said, there's not one square inch in the whole domain domain of our existence over which Christ who is Lord over all does not declare mine. Every square inch is his, right? So, so that separation uh, between the secular and the sacred can uh, be developed in, in, in an unhelpful direction. And then I think the other unhelpful uh, development from other, even some reformed uh, theologians, yeah, creates this hierarchy where they say, you know, we must bend over backwards to obey anything and everything from the civil government up to the point where they say um, you, you know, you must do something contrary to scripture or you may not do something that you're compelled to do by scripture. And and that too, um, I think is unhelpful. Uh, I think that the the more helpful um, uh, the more helpful um, yeah way of thinking through this is is just respecting the various sphere, spheres for the authority that they've been given directly from God. Um, that's a, a better starting point, I think. Right. right. Yeah. Uh, Go ahead. Jump in here. So, 
Let, okay, so let's just clarify this. So it's it's a sphere. Um, I guess Christ, Christ or God is over everything. And then you have overlapping spheres of, you said, um, government, family, and the church, right? And so they're, they're all in the same playing field, kind of overlapping in their uh, jurisdictions. And that's, yeah. of course, where you get the tensions, right? Okay, yeah. so if that's clear then. Um, maybe let's talk about the video you released uh, the other day, talking about this issue, COVID-19, and uh, some of your thoughts on it, um, some of your observations, your suggestions. Uh, that got a lot of traction online, which is great to see that people are interested in the topic and a lot of commentary on it as well. So I was wondering if you would be interested in expanding on some of your thoughts there, maybe clarifying a few things, uh, a few of the criticisms people had, and then uh, we can dig into it further, maybe. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, so um, I, I put out a video um, on on Thursday, July 23rd, I think it was. Uh, and and it's about a 20 minute video where I yeah I offered some some general thoughts and observations on mandatory mask bylaws, um, and then um, offered some recommendations or suggestions for how that can be implemented in in a church. And uh, and and I received I'd say the majority of the feedback was was positive and and very encouraging, um, but there was a significant amount of pushback, uh, critical commentary. Uh, some of which was very helpful, actually. Uh, some that was not helpful at all. <laughs> but uh, so, but for for those who were very helpful, who were engaged, who were asking good and fair questions, who who pointed out, um, you know, omissions in my in, in what I had said, uh, where where they had hoped I would have covered uh, other other aspects of of this discussion about you know the church and the state interacting in a time of pandemic with things like mandatory masks and so on, uh, you know. So for those who critically engaged. Uh, but also constructively engage. I think I, I say thank you. I'm very thankful for brothers and sisters who disagree and then have the courage to point out their disagreement and and make the argument for why why they disagree. Um, so yeah, um, a couple of my observations was I I I feel that and I think I still feel that the using the blunt force of the law to mandate masks is. Um, is not the policy direction that I would recommend. I think that it 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 does uh, more bad than than good. That's a policy disagreement, right? So I'm not saying that the Christian position is that you cannot have a mask bylaw. It's not not what I was saying. What I was saying is I think from a public policy perspective, when you use law to you know to encourage people to do something that could have just been encouraged, and has actually been encouraged in, in the media and by various politicians speaking and, and so on and so forth. Um, yeah, I just think that a by law uh, is not, not a great public policy uh, option. I think there's a better pol public policy option than that. Uh, and then I also observed uh, something along the lines that, um, that I felt it was unfair that, that churches also would be subject to the, the mask bylaw because the mask bylaws are being uh, proposed in response to the reopening of the economy, uh, especially in Ontario. That reopening is, is you know, entering stage three for you know, restaurants and stores and other services, including um, even things like movie theaters and so on. Um, 
And so if, if those are the areas that are open, those are the areas of civil society that are reopening, it makes sense if you're going to pass a law on, on, uh, on masks that, that you'd apply it to those sectors, right? But, but churches are still where we were on June 12th, at least in Ontario. And, and so because we're not expanding, that, that means, in my opinion, it seems to me that there's not an increased risk over June 12th for churches. And therefore, you know, we don't really need the bylaw. Now, again, I didn't, by saying, I think it's unfair, I'm not suggesting that churches are being persecuted. And, and certainly uh, it's true that this mass bylaw is generally being applied across the board. So in that sense, it's fair, right? It's being across, applied, you know, without discrimination across the board. What I mean by the fairness question was more what I've just elaborated, that, that while other sectors are reopening, this sector is not, the church sector is not. And so I thought, oh, why, why not leave churches to make their own decisions on on the masks uh anyway I, I think i made a few other observations you know applying it to little children i thought um again not a great public policy choice but that's that's a disagreement on policy i wasn't making a constitutional argument i wasn't even making a theological argument it was just a policy argument that i didn't think it was great reasonable christians can disagree on that uh, i know good bible believing christ honoring neighbor loving christians who would be on either side questions. I was giving my opinion. Other Christians will have other opinions. That doesn't make me an anarchist. That doesn't make me a pro-choice advocate. That just makes me a, a Christian just engaging in a public policy discussion. But yeah, so so after those observations, then I, then I moved to two critical points. And these are the two main points I really wanted to capture with my video. I, I admit that I could have done a better job in co communicating that. And I, and I apologize that, that I wasn't clear. Obviously, a lot of uh, folks uh, misunderstood what I meant to say. And that, again, that lies with me. That's my fault, not theirs. Um, so maybe this is a great opportunity for me to clarify a little bit more. The two main thrusts I really wanted to get across was first, the jurisdiction question, and then second, the exceptions question, right? So the jurisdiction question we've touched on already. And 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 to make that point, I used an analogy of, of in my video, I talked about um, about whether or not a police officer could enforce the Canada Food Guide in my house if I'm making a special birthday dinner for my son of pancakes instead of veggies and meat. And, um, and there are a lot of people that said, Andre, that's a horrible analogy because the Canada Food Guide is merely a guide, whereas the masks is a, is a bylaw, it's a law, right? And, and so on. Okay, that's a legitimate concern, but my analogy was not to compare the food guide with the bylaws. That the analogy was only to make the point about jurisdiction or authority office uh, between a police officer and you know civil government in, in the form of the police officer versus a father as the head of the household. So that's a problem with analogies. They're never going to be perfect, and an analogy is usually used only to make a single point, not to cover off on every point, right? And so, so that was my focus of the analogy was only on the point of authority. Who has authority to determine what my son is going to eat? And, and I use that analogy only to spark the conversation around consistory tables as, as the heads of the church, to encourage them to think about that question. Who has authority over the worship service? And, and um, I'm not saying that the state has no authority whatsoever there's not going to be some overlap here, but just you got to wrestle with that question. It's important for church leadership to wrestle with that question. I'll, I'll tell you why, and I should have explained this in the video, um, but I didn't, and that was a failure on my part. There's two reasons why I think that's important. One is that um, there are things coming down the road that 
that answer to the question is most definitely going to be not the state. Okay, so it's a big question mark for me with uh, with with masks. Um, it's not at all a question mark for me when we're talking about things like conversion therapy. So for example, for the last six months, we've been busy at ARPA Canada dealing with mandatory uh, bans on conversion therapy by municipal governments, not by fe provincial or federal governments, although there's a federal bill coming too, but, but municipal governments, particularly in the province of Alberta, um, Edmonton, uh, St. Albert, Calgary, Lethbridge, like all of these municipalities are pushed passing municipal bylaws that prohibit counseling uh, children in particular, but also adults, to be comfortable in the skin they're in by teaching a Christian sexual ethic to, to people um, if, if they haven't, you know, given their active consent to be taught that, and so on and so forth. And, and so that's in my mind, just because a bylaw has been passed by civil government, as soon as it touches on the sphere of the church, we have to, I, I want the church to instinctively ask the question, who has right. jurisdiction? Right. The, I'm not saying by asking that question, the answer must be only the church at all. Uh, so, so civil government butt out. That, that's, I left it open in the video, but I yeah. want us to, as an instinct, to ask the question. Right. Maybe we can jump into that example a bit. Yeah, I think before we go into the exceptions on the that you yeah. brought forward in the video, because I think you had a you had a yeah okay, okay. particular this this. Uh, okay, so this is, it's an interesting example, not because it's a perfect one or an analogy, I should say. Mm -hmm but because it, it does illustrate uh, this tension where the overlapping in the spheres, right? So you, you yeah. made the example, like if you were to feed your son pancakes, you know, state, uh, if you do that yeah. one night, the state has no business telling you, uh, you can't feed your son pancakes. But right. I, I was wondering if you feed your son pancakes for a year or for two years, right. and that's all you feed yeah. your son, yeah. that's, you know, that's borderline child yeah. abuse. Then the that's state right. is interested in the health of the child and ultimately keeping the child alive. So yeah. I, I think that, that you can use that example to say, okay, look, there's a certain amount of overlap, but at which mm -hmm. point does it come into? So, I mean, yeah, we, if yeah. we talked about the conversion therapy to, thing too, actually, we, mm. we had thought about that, that example. And, and yeah, there's, there's a lot, there's obviously a harder line in the sand when, mm -hmm. when it comes from the church and the, and the state, mm -hmm. like the church can very easily find that line. Right. Whereas this is, mm -hmm. I guess, you know, how many days does it take to feed your kid pancakes yeah. before it's abuse? To kill your kid <laughs> with pancakes only. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, okay. no, so that's a legitimate, like that's totally a legitimate uh, uh, question. And, and I, I fully agree. And, and you're right. It, it illustrates the overlap. So um, I have authority to discipline my son. Uh, I have authority to feed my son. But as soon as my discipline rises to the level of abuse or as soon as my feeding rises to the level of neglect, which is a criminal law standard, um, then the state has been given by God uh, the sword to punish criminal behavior, right. criminal behavior yeah. that, that when it comes to the raising of children is, is abuse or neglect. I'd say the same thing, of course, for this, for the church. Um, you know, I help draft our, our abuse policy for my local church. And, and if there's, if there's, uh, abuse within the church, whether that's done by a, a member or by an elder, like a leadership, uh, person or, or not, we like the first item on the list is you call the civil authorities because if there's been abuse, sexual abuse, uh, harassment, uh, what have you, especially of a child, um, then the civil government has its role to play. I think the church has done itself. It, it's, it's marred its own uh, witness and example when in years past, decades, centuries past, it would try to deal with criminal matters in-house or try to shuffle, shuffle it under the, the carpet. Um, you know, so it's as wrong for the for the church to 
to refuse to recognize the civil government's role as it would be for the civil government to to fail to recognize the church's role. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I think that's kind of where this mask thing lands. It's not, you know, a lot of people don't view it as, you know, such an inconvenience that, you know, it lands in, you know, government overreach, although we can probably get into that a little bit more. Uh, there's people more on the bottom, but like you said, yeah. But yeah, then it then it doesn't land, you know, in one camp or the other. It kind of is is straddling this line. But yeah, yeah. exactly. I think maybe, okay, so if we're talking about jurisdiction here, this might be a good mm -hmm. time to talk about um, statism. Um, now, I, I think you read uh, Dr. Joe Boot's article, uh, I would think so, mm -hmm. on uh, statism. And he talked about, uh, he talked about COVID, he talked about masks, uh, quite a lengthy piece. And he also talked about this idea of statism, which is the government um, extending outside of its sphere and, and getting into spheres where it's not, uh, not supposed to be. So, and you, yeah. you talked about conversion therapy there. Um, I guess if this isn't the hill to die on, maybe, uh, which it seems like it's not, or at least there's definitely opinions either way. Uh, going forward, uh, do you see this issue of statism, statism as a problem? And what sort of areas are you concerned with the government uh, getting involved where it should not? Yeah, um, so so it's a great question, uh, Lucas. And I think I think it's that too. We have to be uh, as church be have our eyes wide open on that question. Um, again, I don't. I'm not trying to foment a persecution complex here. I don't right. think <laughs> that it's risen to the level of, of persecution, but the reality is, and this human history teaches us this, whether it's, it's in the Eastern part of the world or the Western part of the world, it's particularly in times of crisis, whether that's war or pandemic uh, or famine or natural disasters or whatever, um, that um, people look to the state to become their savior. Now, does the state have a role to play in war and famine and natural disasters and pandemics? Absolutely, and we can actually thank God for the institution of the state to help us through those times. Um, that's wonderful, that's good. Um, uh, there, there was an article written uh, just recently in the Clarion Magazine, the magazine for Canadian Reformed uh, Churches, where um, one of the writers said, during this time of pandemic, there's three commandments at least three commandments that are seem to be intersecting the fourth, the fifth, and the sixth. Fourth about worship, the fifth about obeying authority, and the sixth about uh, not killing, or or the positive side is promoting the life and protecting the life of your neighbor. I would add two more at least, uh, the first and the ninth. Uh, the ninth is pursuing truth through all of this, which has been difficult in our in our current media culture. Uh, and the first being uh, having no other gods before God. And when you read the Heidelberg Catechism, it talks about that first commandment. It talks about, you know, what is idolatry? It's putting your trust in anything besides God or in addition to God. Um, and, and I think one thing I'm a little bit concerned about through a pandemic like this, are Christians um, looking to the state to save them uh, economically, physically, and, and, and like health-wise? Um, I don't know. I think I think that's a legitimate question that a concerned Christian can ask of other Christians. I'm, I'm not answering that question for them. I'm putting the question out there as a what I hope is a thoughtful question. Say, you know, and that's really what statism is. The ism change it into a form of of worship, like communism and fascism, and statism is is that kind of a thing where people look to the state for their answer, for for their meaning and their safety and their um, and, and those kinds of things. I think I think we've got to be cautious about that. Um, 
we should have our, you know, our, our antennae, you know, kind of uh, watching out for that kind of thing. Um, and we should be able to have open and honest conversations about that. Um, yeah. yeah. So yeah. is it, I think in that sense, like, like the mask thing, it's for a lot of people, it's kind of like, it's the, the, the kind of frustration I'm seeing is it's kind of the, the, the straw that's breaking the camel's back. Like if we did a thought experiment and we flipped it around right back in March, we were told don't wear masks, but let's say they had said, then we're going to start with masks. We're going to start with social distancing and masks. I don't think anyone would have objected. Well, maybe some would have objected, but I, I don't think the objections to the masks back then would have been nearly what they are now. It's that, it's that it ke- just keeps piling on. And so the masses, it's just the latest thing. And so that's where the frustration is boiling up. And, and I think we've got to have a bit of, yeah, we as Christians got to be careful with our frustration and at the same time show a bit of grace for the frustration, right? Um, it, this is a trying time for everyone. Um, but if we had started with masks in a hypothetical situation, I don't think people would have been freaking out about that. I think it would be whatever the latest thing was, that would be the thing that's breaking the camel's back, so to speak. So um, uh, uh, it's not, for me, it's not, uh, for those who are are worked up about the mask bylaws, I don't think it's the masks per se. I think it's just it's it's just everything is just building up and building up, and and there's just going to be a lot of yeah frustration and anxiety and and so on, and that's starting to spill out. Yeah, I think that's where your video it kind of it touches on it touches on more um, you know how the leaders in the church deal with this, and you know, and I guess it's you know you can tell tell right in this conversation that we you know it's hard to answer it for yourself, let alone answer it for everyone else. And, mm-hmm. you know, answering this question of like, you know, should we, we be, you know, listening or, or not, or, you know, mm-hmm. um, and then I think that's when you like kind of went into your, the exceptions to, to uh, the thing. I think that's, yeah, we can talk about some of the, some of the exemptions. You uh, obviously study these bylaws. You talked about that in the video. Uh, we don't have to rehash everything. Um, but I think an interesting point that you brought up was this idea of conscientious objections. Um, I read through, we both read through the Hamilton bylaw. Uh, there seems to be, you could definitely make the case uh, for uh, just, I personally, I feel like, or not, not me personally, but someone could make the case personally that they feel that they have a conscientious objection to wearing a mask. And mm-hmm. according to the bylaw, you're not allowed to ask why someone is exempt because of personal health reasons. So mm-hmm. you could get away with it under the wording of the bylaw is basically what I read from that. So I guess, A, do you agree with that? And B, is that a uh, is that a moral thing to do in light of the ninth commandment? Yeah. So so let so let me start with the second part of your question. Okay. Is is it a moral thing in light of the ninth commandment? So when I say conscientious conscientious objection, um, what I don't mean is you know what I don't feel like wearing a mask and I'm okay with it in my conscience, so I'm not going to wear one. That's gotcha. not a conscientious objection. Right. We in modern Christian talk we use conscience in a very different way than martin luther used it when he said i uh it is a dangerous thing to sin against uh your conscience uh, what he meant in you know fifteen seventeen or whenever it was that he said that and what we should mean when we talk about a conscientious objection is not that i'm my conscience is free and clear for me to do this or that to be free to do this or that what we mean by a conscientious objection is i cannot do this because if i do this i believe with all my heart that I would be doing sin. I would be participating in sin. So I'm guessing that the vast majority of people within reformed churches would not have not come to that conclusion. 
I know of, I, I've heard one person, a friend of mine who's made that case and she is convinced that by wearing a mask, she is participating in, in a lie. And she's worked it through. She's talked to people. She's prayed about it. She's searched scripture um, with an open mind about it. And she's convinced that she cannot wear a mask. So for me, as a, as a Christian, what do I do with her as a sister? Uh, if, if I was an elder uh, at a church, what do I do with her? Do I say, um, look, you're, you're actually wrong. Uh, so either stay home or violate your conscience. You, you know, I don't think you're sinning, but even though you think you're sinning, do it anyway and come. Well, I say it's a dangerous thing to sin against your conscience. So if you believe you're sinning by wearing the mask, I would say don't. I'm guessing that's a that's a small percentage of, of Christians. Um, I'd also say at the same time, don't as a Christian, do not say I can't wear a mask uh, if you actually could and you just don't really care, but you just don't feel like wearing one into church. If you walk it to, up to church, the steps of church, you're about to enter into corporate worship with the one true God who knows your heart and your mind and your soul uh, and every word that you're about to say. And you walk up to that door and say, oh, oh, uh, brother or sister, do you have a mask? You say, oh, I can't wear one. And you lied about that. That's a fearful thing to enter into corporate worship with you just lying. Okay. So don't violate the ninth commandment in that direction either. Um, I think that yeah, may be so, how people have construed that in the, in, you know, some, you know, mm -hmm. some of the 10,000 people that watched the video. Um, yeah. And that's, yeah, yeah. So that's good. That, that I think that clarifies well. So. Yeah. And, and so this actually goes back to that jurisdiction question, though, because if, if you look at the Hamilton bylaw, what do you do? You know, if you've if you've wrestled with the jurisdiction question, you'll have an easier time applying the bylaw because the bylaw says very specifically, um, you as church leadership may not allow anyone to enter that church uh, unless they're wearing a mask or if they have a health, um, a health exception. Um, an argument maybe could be made that there's a, there's room there for a conscientious objection uh, objector. I'm not convinced actually that, that it is there. It's gray. It's in a gray area for me, but let's say that, that you as a church leadership, like, like let's not assume. So let's say you, you, you allow space in your church for guests and many churches do that. Um, certainly I, I got some flack for my, my video for, for not addressing uh, churches that do leave lots of room for guests. And I apologize for that as well. So let's say you're a church that leaves room for guests. Don't assume that every guest uh, all want to wear masks. There's going to be some guests out there who don't want to wear a mask. Um, I'm guessing more would prefer to wear a mask than not, but, Okay, so let's assume you've got one of these guys and says, look, I'm, I'm sick and tired of this whole pandemic thing. And, you know, I've been searching for answers and this church has been up the street for me. I've never been a church guy. I don't believe in God, but, you know, I'm willing to try anything. So I'm here to go to church. Uh, I'm going to try this out, uh, but I don't want to wear a mask. Hamilton bylaw, the state has told you as a church, do not let him in. Do you let him in? Who decides? And that, that's where the rubber meets the road, right? Like, it, so, so if you've done the jurisdiction question, you'll know how to answer that question. But if you haven't done the jurisdiction question, well, the answer's already been decided for you and that's decided by the state. The state now dictates who comes into your church doors. And, and, and so in a sense, the state has deputized the church. The church has become the deputy of the civil government. Uh, they are now the enforcers of the, of the bylaw. So that's a very specific and a very hypothetical example but it's, it's, yeah, it's again, another reason why I, I, I want the church to go through the jurisdiction question first so that 
when the rubber hits the road, they'll have a bit more clarity, um, you know, on a case by case basis as people come in. And I would say, I think, uh, I hope I'm not trying to weasel out of a tight spot by saying this, but I, I think that reasonable Christian leaders might come to different answers on that question, on that hypothetical. If a man comes to your church not wearing a mask, says, look, I'm a seeker. I'm, I'm trying to figure out what, what's truth anymore these days. And I thought I'd just give this church thing a try, but I'm, I am not wearing a mask. I can imagine different churches coming to different answers on that. Some church leadership might say, look, um, you know, we, we'd really love to have you with us. We're also live streaming the service. Can you maybe, you know, watch the live stream at home because, because we're, you know, we want to uh, honor the bylaw about the masks and others would say, you know what, most people inside are wearing a mask anyway. You're one person out of whatever, 75, let's say, uh, just maybe sit in the back, please. So that you don't, um, you know, we don't risk any sort of contamination. You know, I can imagine reasonable Christian leaders, you know, disagreeing on that. Right. And, and I think that's within the realm of Christian freedom uh, for different leadership to come to different answers on that. Would the, is there any utility uh, in maybe churches, like once they make a decision, uh, release a statement and, and kind of like go through the rationale for why they made a decision and at least uh, address the jurisdiction question and be like, look, like we think uh, we think the government is within its bounds to do this or you know, we think mm. the government may still be within their bounds and we choose to go along with this out of the spirit of mm. love for our neighbor, goodwill. And, you know, like the, the other problem is too, like it's, okay, is this a justifiable, justifiable limit on uh, the church's sphere, I guess, if you view it as mm. coming into the church's sphere, which, you know, at very least, it's at least at that cross section of, of where the spheres collide. Because, you know, we, we accept uh, government limitation on churches all the time in terms of how we build our buildings and our fire codes, yep. how many people in the church, right? So that yep. stuff's all fine. The issue, I've, we talked about this a bit too, like for masks is it's it's really on that fine line where it's like, okay, the government's going to tell you what to wear when you go worship. And they're going to mm -hmm. tell you, you know, kind of how you worship in terms of, okay, they, they already told us how to worship. Like they said it was, mm -hmm. you couldn't gather for church. Okay, like that that was established. We were fine with that because of the threat of the pandemic. Now it's mm -hmm. been whatever it's been, five, six months. Okay, mm -hmm. the threat is less according to some people, still the same according to others. It's difficult to know what the actual threat level is. So, I mean, I guess all this is to say it's really hard to tell, <laughs> but maybe yeah. is there any utility in churches releasing a statement, at least just giving the rationale perhaps? Yeah, uh, could it could be. I think um, you know. So this can't be interpreted as legal advice here, but right. Yeah, no, this is podcast. To, like, there's, there's one of the pros about releasing a statement is that you're upfront and open about what you believe. Yeah. Um, a con could be that releasing a statement, particularly if you come down on a side that says we don't believe the civil government has has authority here. Um, and this is what we're going to do about it. And you open yourself to, to legal liability, right? So, I mean, if that's what you really believe, Mel, maybe that's what you need to do as a church. Um, but, but I'd say as well, like uh, one, one of the things about, about answering the jurisdiction question, I think a lot of people reacted to my video when I asked the jurisdiction question, thinking that I was, a, that the implied answer is that the state has, does not have jurisdiction. But I think that, you know, there's there's multiple answers that could could develop. I mean, obviously, 
if I thought the state did not have any jurisdiction at all, I wouldn't have spent the second half of the video talking about how to apply the bylaw in your church. Um, I, I just think that it, it, it's, a, it's a question that we have to wrestle with. But even if you say the state does not have jurisdiction, you could, as a church, still say, even, even though we, we retain jurisdiction here, we, we see your bylaw state and we're going to implement it. Or, but but we're retaining our authority here. So we have authority over this, but we hear we respect you, civil government, and um, we respect uh, what you're trying to do with public health, and we respect what you're trying to do to try to protect human life, and we respect that there's not a lot of clarity on what the science is saying about you know masks, but it's leaning towards that masks are helpful. So so we're going to go along with that. You know the whole precautionary principle. Um, you know, so we're going to implement your your bylaw. That's definitely a legitimate uh, answer. So there, you actually almost get the best of both worlds. You've got both the church asserting its own authority over the worship service, and at the same time showing an incredible amount of respect to to the civil government by saying, you know, you, you don't actually have authority here, but we're gonna we're gonna incorporate what you say because we've got a lot of respect for you. Again, I'm not saying that that's the answer, but I'm saying that's a answer that a good faithful church could come to. Right. And and if that were the case, that's that's a way to um yeah, to maintain uh for the church to maintain its its authority, but then also to use its wisdom in in dealing with the exceptions and dealing with, you know, a conscientious objector for uh, objector for example. Um which again, I think would be a minority uh, of cases, but yeah, so I think you want to dive in, in a little bit deeper into, um, like, is this a justifiable limitation? And then, you know, how does that play out, you know, further down the road, maybe with other, you know? Yeah, yeah. like we could go into that. But I mean, then we get into the nitty gritty of like, I mean, no one's a scientist here either. So it's like, we all we all read the stats and we all go, okay, like, mm. this trend's going this way and this trend's going this way. And, you know, our mm. mask good or bad? Like, I think it's maybe we're getting a little too deep if we talk about that too much. But maybe we can talk about uh, if we look back on this, let's say 15, 20 years and yeah. we go, OK, how did the Reformed Church or even just churches in Canada in general around the world? Mm -hmm. How did they respond to the COVID-19 pandemic? Um, did they take a principled stand? Uh, was there government overreach or like all that stuff still has to be kind of played out? But that, I mean, that's why I kind of talk about like making a statement, at least so we can look back and like, all right, here's yeah. what they were thinking at the time, like given what they knew at the time. This was the rationale. Um, yeah. Yeah. How, how can we make this at least a learning experience? Uh, and you can have different outcomes either way. But how mm -hmm. can we learn from from this pandemic, jurisdiction-wise, perhaps? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I think that the the pandemic is definitely testing uh, the church in in a, in a few different ways. Not least of which is uh, better understanding uh, jurisdictional limits of church and state. Um, so I think that, you know, you know, like so various churches are are wrestling with the question that we haven't wrestled with for 75 years. Right. I think the last time the church in North America has uh, has ever had to wrestle with with this question really has been World War Two. And that wasn't even North American church. That was the, the church in, in Europe. Um, so so for for the Western world, we haven't wrestled with this question in living memory for the Western church, um, whereas the Eastern ch church. So the church. Uh, in China, for example, is wrestling with the question every single day, uh, and the church in in large parts of Africa, uh, of Southeast Asia too, are, are wrestling with this this question pretty much every single day. Certainly in Eastern Europe, in in the USSR, when it when it was uh, around, the church was wrestling with that question all the time. So 
Um, so I think the pandemic is making us wrestle with that. And, and, you know, and I received a few comments from, uh, you know, from the video where people say, you know, stop worrying, stop being so selfish about your own freedoms or your own liberties. We're not being persecuted. Stop being selfish. And, and I would reply to that saying, like, again, I understand the legitimate concern about the optics, right? Because it, that's the way it looks is it when the church is saying, you know, stop, uh, interfering with our worship. It seems like the church is very self-interested and and maybe some christians are they they don't actually see freedom as the bigger issue that it is but but what we uh, some people fail to realize is when the, the church is an advocate for freedom that's a benefit for the entire country whether the rest of the country recognizes it or not when the church advocates for freedom of assembly that's a benefit for BLM protesters, Black Lives Matter protesters. It, it grants the same freedom. When we advocate for the freedom to assemble we're, and, and we get that protected, that benefits people gathering together to protest racism uh, and police police brutality. When we advocate for freedom of uh, religion and, and, and the independence of the church, that benefits actually other people who might uh, worship as Jews or Muslims within Canada. Uh, when we advocate for freedom of association um that too is it, it, yeah certainly it blesses the christian community freedom blesses the christian community blesses the rest of the canadian community as well freedom is a blessing for all so so it's not you know for those who are advocating for freedom during this time or are concerned about restrictions on freedom maybe put it that way um it's not just for selfish reasons it's it really is a benefit for the for the whole of the country, and and you know there's a saying that uh, liberty doesn't die in one fell swoop, but it dies by uh, it's a death of a thousand cuts, like it's little bits and little bits and little bits, and and so I think that's why some people are strongly reacting. It's not just Christians. I have a lot of friends who are lawyers that are not Christian, and they're very concerned about a lot of the overstep by the, by the civil government. So I think as Christians we can. We can probably comply and obey where where we can. At the same time, being a voice that says, like, maybe this is overstep, maybe this is overreach. Uh, is there other options available to us? Uh, there's that. The other thing, the other lesson, I guess, um, and whether this is a made in the form of a statement or not, uh, I'm not sure. But but the other lesson um, I would like to come out of this is is actually looking back a hundred years and then looking forward a hundred years. So looking back a hundred years was the Spanish flu, right? 1918, 1919, Spanish flu wipes out 50 million people uh, across the world. So in that sense, a far greater pandemic than what we're facing today. And the people it killed, if you look at the age category, the Spanish flu killed people in the 15 to 40 age range, right? So the people at their healthiest uh, stage of life, their their most their their strongest stage of life. Those were the prime targets of Spanish flu. That's who it killed most of. Um, and and when you look at the interaction between the state and the church back then, there's some examples where uh, the city of Washington D.C., for example, uh, it requests in October of uh, uh, of 1918, the the city officials requested the churches to please close their churches for the next three weeks. Uh, because of the pandemic. So that request came on a Friday. On a Saturday, the leadership of all of the churches in the city met together, and their response is, we gladly uh, cede to the request of the church to close our churches, and we will endeavor to pray uh, to the Almighty God uh, for for his uh, mercy and his help during this time of national need, something like that. 
And, and what I love about that interaction is that you see there that sphere sovereignty happening where there's this mutual respect for the two spheres, that the, the state doesn't lord it over the church and say, you must you know, issue an edict, you must close. Uh, it, it asks, it requests that of the church. And the church's response was, we gladly... We will gladly see to your request. We'll happily close our church for the next three weeks because we recognize the threat, because we recognize uh, the public health concern. And actually, if you look in our own history back in March, most churches that I know of were already uh, making massive changes to their worship services before the order came down from the government of Ontario to shut down worship. Um, I don't know of a single church that hadn't done something pretty drastic and implemented that already the week before, um, before the Ontario government shut it down. So, so looking backwards 100 years, and I see that dialogue between the sphere of the church and the state, then looking forward 100 years, that's what I'm aiming for. I see it would be a lovely thing if we could get our churches and our government today to get to that 100 years from now. So that if there, God forbid, but another pandemic or epidemic were to strike Canada 100 years from now, that we'd be in a position where the civil government would say, this is our role, public health, trying to protect um, uh, you know, all citizens during a time of an epidemic. And we're going to see the church as a legitimate partner in this. And we're going to request the church to partner with us, to help us uh, also by closing or limiting worship for, for a specified period of time. And that we see each other as, as a mutual partnership in in addressing something like a pandemic i think that that would be a goal that would be lovely for us as a church to work towards definitely right yeah is there something i'm yeah i'm looking forward like thinking when you know when you know people look back from 100 years you know mm -hmm. you know from now is there something that will kind of shine forth in this time that is kind of a something that's a signal that they can you know, use, or maybe that we can use say 20 years from now, and we're talking about say conversion therapy, we're talking about, uh, I think someone brought up uh, mandatory vaccinations for your kids. And, right. and I know you, there's been lots of research in that. Yeah, or it's like technology, right? Like yes, chip, been, like, chips in your head, that sort of thing too. Yeah. I mean, like, I mean, this stuff is like maybe out there, but it's, it's something that the government, you know, it could be working on, maybe working on that we don't really, or we're not really involved in, but is there something that kind of signals to us like this is kind of when you know, the government is going too far. Like, I think it's just an uneasy feeling with these masks. That's like, don't tell me to wear a mask. You know, I think that's a feeling from a lot of people. And it's just like this uneasiness inside of us. And then we, you know, then I think we, it's good to go to that jurisdiction question, you know, um, but is there something like other than a, just a feeling that we can say, you know, if this, you know, kind of occurs, then, you know, you know, be on alert. This is kind of, you know, what are the warning signs, signs maybe? What this looks like, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, um, I think you know, I, th I think that's why I was so um, emphatic on the jurisdiction question is because I do see things coming down the road where, you know, where, where I think, yeah, if, if we've never exercised that aspect of our philosophy and our theology, then, then we won't know how to do the exercise 10 years from now or 20, 20 years from now, or even two years from now. I think the vaccine question is a legitimate one. Um, you know, to be completely open, I, I do vaccinate my children, but I can tell you right now, they are not going to get the first line of vaccine that comes out on this COVID. They're not going to, it's too early and it's too experimental. And, and the, so I will not let you know, the state stick a needle in my uh, son or daughter um, with, 
with whatever the first round of vaccines on COVID are uh, not going to happen. Um, and that's a juris, I think that's a jurisdiction question. Now, I can see some some Christians say, well, oh, you're 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 putting other people's lives at stake if you don't do it. Yeah, but I'm I feel convicted that that if it was the first round of vaccines, that I'd be putting my own son and my own daughter's life at risk um, because not enough would be known about it. It hasn't been tested. It's been rushed, uh, everything else. Um, and my first responsibility is my own children. It's, you know, and I think that's also true of the church. Its first responsibility is its own members and this and the state, its first responsibility is its own citizens. And those are bigger and bigger cir circles, of course, as you, as you go out. Um, yeah. So I, as far as the shining light goes, I think I hope <laughs> that uh, despite some of the comments on my uh, Facebook video that I put out, that I hope one of the shining lights that the church has is is that we know how to disagree well, and and I think that generally speaking, most people did disagree well. There's a few a few that didn't do so well, but um, you know I can say I got a lot of uh, emails as well, a couple phone calls too, where people disagreed with what I said in the video. They thought it was. Uh, well, they had various reasons that they disagreed uh, with it, but they did it well. Uh, they encouraged me. They offered prayer for me. They uh, they pointed out the things they did agree with and, and then pointed out what they disagreed with. Or uh, some people asked questions just to clarify. Like, it sounds like you're saying this. Is, is that really what you're saying? And then I could clarify, um, or I will be able to clarify soon uh, that that either yes that is what i meant or no actually that's not quite what i meant i meant this and and that disagreeing well in our current political climate in in all of north america looking south of the border especially uh, i think would be a great shining example for the rest of the uh, of our country that that we know how to disagree well that we can say look uh, you're a friend you're a brother or sister i disagree with you on this point but but let's try to arrive at the truth together in a in a gracious and winsome way um, so I, I hope that that can be one of the examples that the church is uh, through all of this. Uh, um, I hope that characterizes also, us well. <laughs> I think that's you yeah. know something that we we are kind of we are always conscious of when we're trying to we're trying to have conversations and trying to even if we disagree, we're trying mm -hmm. to do it you know in, in yeah. a useful way. Yeah. Well, and it, part of it you can disagree, but at least try to understand where the other person is coming from. So at least right. at the end of the day, if we don't agree, I can go mm -hmm. okay, Andre, this is what Andre thinks. And, and, you know, that's okay. I may disagree with that, but at least I know where he's coming from. And we have a shared set of values, which is, I mean, ultimately you, you do need that to have a, a healthy political climate, which is yeah. in my personal opinion, one of the problems, but we don't have to get into that. But uh, <laughs> that's, that's, you know, let's go down that road. But um, yeah, I guess that we talked about a lot, a lot of stuff right now. Eh? Is there anything else you feel like we should cover today? I mean, we can do a deep dive into these, these bylaws, but I think, um, one, one of the things that kind of struck me about the video in particular, and we've kind of covered things beyond that, but um, you said, um, this isn't a criticism, don't worry. Um, you noted that the government is is doing something like every municipality kind of wrote their bylaw differently, but the they're kind of just virtue signaling. We kind of looked at, I don't know if everyone really understands that concept, but we looked at the Hamilton bylaw. And for instance, in this bylaw, they mentioned something that it said um, when they laid out their fines, there was no fine in there. I don't believe that would fine an individual because what you said, it was, it's kind of an unenforceable bylaw. It's kind of, they put this out there in order to pressure people to do something, but have not said, if you do that, if you do not do this, 
there's actually something in there that says you can't ask anybody. So that means they can't find out. They can't ask your medical records and they can't find out if you're supposed to be wearing a mask or not. Um, mm -hmm. But there was a fine in there that said, if you do not post a sign saying that this masks are mandatory in your space, that's finable. Mm -hmm. So I, yeah. I kind of thought, you know, it'd be interesting to get your, your opinion on that. And like, I find that that's just, a, it just seems to be something that's more prevalent today. And, and it, it kind of indirectly influences or, or pressures people into doing things, you know, and then you get into the anxiety and stress that you mentioned too. Like that just piles on for people. You know, is that, you know, maybe touch on that just a little bit. Like, Incorrect. do you see that more com Is that more common? And then do you, do you um, think that's a problem that we might face more, you know, down the road? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay. Good question. I, th I think that um, it, it's, yeah, I mean, this gets into a philosophy of law, um, which can get pretty complicated. But, but yeah, I, so John Calvin actually writes about the law. And one of the things he says, the law serves three purposes. One of them is an educator. Um, and so in that sense, you know, a lot of people, uh, mayors and so on have said, well, we're passing this bylaw as an educate, uh, educative tool, a tool to educate the public. So in that sense, I can't really blame them for what they're doing. Um, you know, it's definitely serving that purpose. Everybody, uh, practically everybody knows that it's a law to wear a mask pretty much anywhere indoors. Um, and, and so it's certainly doing that. Um, that's where I, I disagreed, you know, more from a public policy perspective is like, yeah, but the, the law is not merely a tool for educating. Like if, if you're just planning to educate, then there's other means to do that. The, the law is a, is, a, is a tool that needs to be used carefully um, because yeah, like it's a blunt instrument. Um, and, then, and then you leave it up to the, to the whim of whatever bylaw officer happens to be walking your beat that day. And so, so it, it, what ends up happening, if it's merely, if you're trying to use the law merely as an educative tool, it's gonna achieve that end, but it's, but it's the, the way it's policed and enforced that's gonna lead to uh, potential injustices and, and, and uh, in particular unfair applications. Um, depending on the personality type of the bylaw officer who happens to be in your area. Um, and so there too, like the, the church has always been, or has always been called to be a voice against injustice. Um, and, and that includes laws being unfairly applied or unfairly um, policed and so on. So I, I believe that um, Chuck Colson, he's written a book called Justice That Restores. And in there, he, he talks about use the law sparingly, but when you use it, enforce it rigorously. So if you're going to have, for example, a speed limit, but you never enforce it or you rarely enforce it, you're not doing anyone favors. He said, so, so if you're going to have a speed limit, make it a reasonable one and then enforce it well. And certain states in the United States, if you go in certain states, if you're even five kilometers or down there, it's miles and five miles over, they'll, they'll pull you over and you'll give her a ticket for it, even for just five over. In, in Ontario, um, usually you can go 15 to 20 over without getting uh, the police to, to pull you over. And so what ends up happening is certain areas, like there's one area in, in Ottawa here, there's a particular curve on King Edward Street that they really want people to slow down for. And so they post the speed limit for, it's a very long curve. And so they post the speed limit at 30 kilometers per hour, um, which really what they want people to do is 50 kilometers per hour, but they post it as 30. Um, and so like that too, like it's like, well, don't, don't do that. Why don't you just post the law for what it's supposed to be and then enforce that law? And I think that's, 
again, that's a public policy discussion, it's a public policy debate. Reasonable Christians can disagree on this, but it seems to me that's just the better way forward. Same thing with the with the mask bylaw. Um, right. It's, like, it's a letter of the law versus spirit of the law kind of discussion. It, yeah. 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 Th- th- like that plays into it too, um, uh, for sure. Yeah. And that's where I think, you know, generally speaking, less law that's clear is better. I mean, like take all of the regulations that have come out uh, around church worship in, in Ontario. Most people don't know that Ontario Regulation 5220, which uh, which is the one that governed church worship, it expired way back on uh, July 17th. Most people don't know that. Um, now, it got replaced in some aspects by another regulation. So there's still a 30% cap, but other aspects of that reg- regulation are gone. And so there's some churches that I know of that aren't singing but I have no clue why they're not singing anymore, but it's because they think, well, I'm pretty sure that there's some regulation or some guidance out there somewhere that says we can't sing. Like, I don't, I don't know if there is one, um, but that's a problem with a massive proliferation of, of regulations and laws and guidelines. And, and then you've got multiple levels, like in Ontario, you've got the provincial government, you've got municipal governments, you've got local health authorities, like all of them doing something on it. So there's a massive, massive amount of law. And most people, have no clue what actually applies to them in any given situation. That too, it's not, it's not a good thing. That's actually a, that's a bad thing. Um, Is that something that the government will use? Is that like a, is that, I don't know that that would ever be really thought about and you see it being enforced. Well, I'm just thinking like, is that blur something that the government is actually looking to do? Is that something that they're, they're, they actually enjoy not having that, you know, let's not make it distinct because like I can see it from a from a, you know, position of, you know, trying to be reelected. It's like, let's give ourselves. The let's just give, yeah, let's just like throw some stuff out there. And that way we can say we did something, but we don't anger people enough that, you know, it's well, look what you did. And now you, you know, this consequence, you know, of your actions or like they're just kind of covering their butts. And, you know, I'm just I'm just curious if that's like, yeah. You know, is that yeah, okay? I, I, like I, I'll, I'll uh, try to answer it carefully. <laughs> uh, I think there's there's probably some politicians that are are you know that's maybe a cynical view of politics, but some politicians I think that's just a reality of human nature that they're yeah they're scared about their reelection um, their reelection uh, bid you know in a year or two years or whatever, and so so they're doing doing that sort of thing. They're animated by that. They're they're personal ambition and future political future. But I'll also give the benefit of the doubt to, to other politicians and public health officials who aren't subject to reelection, right? They're in the executive branch. And I'll say, I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt that they actually do mean well, that they're trying to do their, their best and they're using the tools available to them. And, and frankly, Romans 13 actually doesn't care whether I give them the benefit of the doubt. I'm still called to respect them, whether whether they uh, they have my best interest at heart or not, I still have to respect the office, and so um, I, I need to I, I need to battle against my inner human tendency towards cynicism and um, autonomy, and learn to bend towards um, uh, respect where 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 I can. Um, not forgetting our earlier discussion, of course, about you know jurisdiction and, and sphere sovereignty and so on. right. Okay, this might be perfect because we had you for about an hour, I think, right? So we should probably yeah. try to wrap this up. It's getting close to that. I wanted to ask, so we've done the, we've done the history thing. We've done the future thing. 
Um, mm -hmm. Let's maybe let's let's zoom in a bit again on 2020. So mm -hmm. okay, so we have these mask re regulations coming into place. Um, mm -hmm. Most churches, I think, pretty much all churches are going to comply with it to one degree or the other, based on locality. Um, but going forward, let's say this has to go six months, eight months, a year. At what point is it? Does the church have to stand up? Like again, depending on how the pandemic plays out, obviously. But let's say, mm -hmm. let's say the pandemic peters out, uh, the threat is minimized, but the government is still a little wary. And to your point about politicians getting reelected, they're like want to be super, uh, super cautious. They want it to mm -hmm. flare up again. But the church feels like this is an undue burden. We went along with it in, in the summer because we thought it was the right thing to do, even if we thought you overstepped your bounds a bit, or you know maybe not in certain cases. Mm. At what point does the church have to say, look, this is enough. You've overstepped. Not to put you on the spot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah it, it's a, it's a tough, it's a tough question. Like we, like I interviewed um, pastor Ken whiskey back in, I think it was early April and uh, through it for a webinar with our, with ARPA. And, and he made the point that said, look, when, when you're on a, on a bus and it's careening off the road and the bus driver says, Hey, everyone stay in your seats. Then, then you do well to obey the one who has authority over that bus, which is the bus driver and, and stay in your seat until the, the, you know, the bumpy ride is over. But if you've been sitting at the bottom of the cliff and all has been still and quiet um, for, for quite a long time and the bus driver still insists that you stay seated in your seat and don't get up and don't leave and don't move. And then, then at some point, you didn't say exactly when, but at some point, you know, things like common sense um, and uh, principles of liberty, of jurisdiction, um, you know, come into play. And, and again, we've got, we have our own minds, you know, so this is not radical autonomy. This is not anarchy speaking here. This is, this is Romans 12, you know, our minds have been renewed, uh, transformed. Um, and, and so that means we can think a little bit more for, uh, ourselves as well. And so I don't, I don't know exactly what the line would be. I think that, um, that's where I, I, I do have a very high view of the office of elder where, where we believe that elders have been ordained by God. That means there's a special, there's something special happening. I think around a consistory table where men ordained by God gather together in a spirit of, um, grace and truth around a table with Bibles open with prayer, uh, asking for the spirit's help and leading through their meeting. And as they deliberate that they, uh, weigh these kinds of heavy questions and, and come to an, come to an answer. Um, I think it, it's clearer when it speaks to core aspects of worship. So when the state says no sacrament, for example, when, you know, the sacrament of Lord's supper, when, when restaurants are open, you know, that I think th then the, this, the church does have the authority to weigh that in the balance and say, look, the sacrament has been given to us to administer on behalf of the, the Lord. Um, and, you know, look over there, that restaurant's at 50% capacity, people mingling and chatting and laughing and in and out uh, for, you know, eight hours a day, seven days a week. And we can't do a symbolic meal together, um, you know, for one hour a week. Uh, where we can do excellent contact tracing and so on and so forth. In a situation like that, I, I would say that the church would be well-suited to say, we're, we're going to do this because this is core to our jurisdiction 
and because we can do it safely, and because the civil government's allowing others in other sectors to do even far more dangerous, um, uh, you know, things than this. Um, not out of a spirit of thumbing it towards the civil government, but as out of a spirit of submission to the lordship of Jesus Christ. Again, all authority has been given to Christ, so it's it's that, and um, and still being respectful of the civil government. Um, through it all saying, look, we're, we're going to respect these other areas where we can, but on this one, we, we can't do it anymore. And so we're going to proceed with the Lord's Supper, something like that. So yeah, the things that are core elements central to, to corporate worship is a little clearer. It's a little bit more black and white than gray. The further out from that core it gets, the more difficult it, it gets. And, and again, this is where it's, I, I personally, where I'm at today, um, I would say that there's probably the further out you get, there's more room for, for a, a respect and charity for how different church office bearers might come to a decision or an, an answer to those questions. So, yeah, yeah, maybe yeah. we'll just leave with that. I think um, that touches on well, like um, be res- we should be respectful in uh, in our you know individual you know context and also you know as as a church. Uh, as a federation, mm-hmm. uh, be respectful and and be loving of our neighbors and and uh, also the government, you know, respecting their decisions and and the position that they've been put in, and then also you know showing love to those around us and you know personally and also gracious to those in our church who may have a differing opinion. Like, I think there's definitely room to uh, have a discussion here and and hope this like helped ease a little bit of that from that video and also like you know maybe develop this out a little bit. So uh, yeah, just gave people a chance to. For us to flesh this out a bit, yeah. for us to hear Andre and and to uh, yeah, you know, just to sit down. I mean, it's a shame we couldn't do it in person, but hopefully sometime soon in the future. But yeah, I hope people were able to learn a bit from this podcast, and well, I mean, we definitely yeah, for, did, sure. for sure. So again, just in the spirit of honest uh, conversation, uh, brotherly love. Yeah, yeah, that's I think a good place to end it. So yeah, thank thanks. you, Andre. Thanks so much. Really that's, appreciate yeah. it. Yeah. This is, our first, this is our first virtual virtual podcast, but uh, I think it uh, okay. the technology cooperated so so far. Good. Yeah, <laughs> hope the editing uh, is up to par. That's well. good. Great. Good. Yeah, I, I would just concur with how you closed out, Tyler. Where I say there are going to be some people within a church that won't be wearing masks for good reason. There's going to be probably many who are wearing a mask for good reason, and if we can just show love and charity uh, towards each other, respect, mutual respect for each other. I think that will be a good witness as well. So yeah, I, I encourage all Christians to, to move forward that way. Excellent. Marvelous. Once again, thanks. Good cool. stuff. All right. Yeah. Thank you for listening uh, as well for listeners. We should probably remember to talk to them. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> they're kind of key here. And uh, yeah, we'll catch you next time. Keep having real conversations. Good stuff. Cheers. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Real Talk. To send us your feedback, email us at reformedrealtalk at gmail.com. Go to our website at realtalkpodcast.ca or follow us on social media on Facebook or Instagram at Real Talk under the handle Reformed Real Talk if you're searching for us and leave us your comments or questions there. We look forward to your feedback as this is what helps us grow as a community and have real conversations. This show is produced by Lucas Holtfluer and Tyler Vanderwood. The music is provided by Calvin Hutton. And that's it for now, folks. 
Keep having real conversations. We hope you were informed and inspired by this episode. Till next time. Bye-bye.